And in the words of a young Roddy Rich, who said some two and a half years ago on a song with him and DJ Mustard, I put the new four G's on my Jeep. I trap until the bloody bottoms are underneath. All my niggas got it out the street. I keep a hundred racks inside my jeans. Now, I've never worn a pair of red bottoms, nor have I ever had $100,000 in my pockets. I rarely ever have 100 pennies in my pocket, the way finances are looking now because of this little uh, leg injury I suffered trying to stop two Mexicans fight at the club. What is going on? How is everybody doing? <laughs> Welcome to the Greatest Voice Podcast. The Greatest Voice Podcast because your voice matters. You have a voice. Welcome. How are you doing? How are you feeling? What is going on in the world of the... I am doing just fine. I am doing blessed. I cannot complain. Life is good. All that in a bag of chips. It is amazing. Um, like I told you, uh, I, you know, finally met my match. I was working at the club last week. These two, I didn't meet my match because we really didn't fight. But these two dudes started fighting right when I was at the bar putting some glasses behind. The, well, I wasn't on their side, obviously, but I was putting some glasses down. These two motherfuckers bumped into me. I tried to grab both of them. When I tried to grab both of them, one of them, they, I don't know how, like they pushed, when they pushed each other, I was still holding on to one of them. When he kind of flew back and my leg snapped and I hit the ground and one of them fell on my knee and it just was, it was bad, man. I, I sprained my knee, I'm wearing a cast right now. Total damage, the hood wept. My avenue cried. My gang ran through the streets just shooting up every fucking thing. It was a mad blood. It was a bloodbath in San Joaquin County that 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 weekend. <laughs> nah, I'm joking. Ain't nobody slide for me. I'm gonna tell you, I'm that's it's kinda weird because I'm now starting to get to the age where I realize, you know, like me, I've always been a um I don't wanna say stepper because now that the podcast is kinda popping, now there's there's a few people listening. I know there's quite a few men out there who could who could fold my big black ass up and put me in a FedEx box and send it to you. But I've always been somebody who's backed up people. I've been the person people who've called to drive out their way. I remember my, my little brother didn't call me for funk, which for those who don't know in Northern California in the urban environment, funk signifies like street beef. And I've caught the bus trying to back him up and save him in this situation. So it was weird. It's kind of weird to be in this position where you're like, um, you know, like if a grown man runs up on me right now, you know, I got a cast on my leg, so I can't, I can defend myself. I can tr attempt to defend myself. <laughs> I can throw my, 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 my podcast microphone at him. Let's see, see if that gives me enough time to, to hop in the car and <laughs> drive off. <laughs> but, you know, you know, hey, it's, um, it's kind of a very, um, emasculating position to be in, to say the least. <laughs> but what's going on with you? How you feeling? How you doing? What's going on in the world of thy? What's going on in the world of thee? Um, it's a lot going on right now. Um, my grandfather passed away two days ago. Sorry, last, no, last, yesterday. Sorry. As I'm recording this podcast, he passed away yesterday. Rest in peace, um, Joseph Charles Mott. Um, you know, on my Instagram when he passed away, I put up a photo of him in my IG story and I said a real stepper and put, you know, 1944 to 2021 rest in peace joe charles mott etc and after that you know i saw my family members shout out to my auntie tara shout out to my father shout out to my, aunt, my uncle greg my uncle rat raymond all of them you know i saw them putting up photos of my granddad and his last few years and you know um it wasn't till then that i realized how uncomfortable i am with people putting up people putting pictures of people up in their most uncomfortable most not say most uncomfortable we'll say 
most uncomplimentary pictures. Like, they're showing pictures of this man when he's, like, halfway crippled and halfway dead. And I'm like, brother, like, not halfway crippled, but, you know, showing him with the walking stick and with his, like, the, the little the tube thing of air connected to his nose. I just hated seeing that, man. Like, the photo I put up of him on my Snapchat on my Instagram was of him in, like, his, you know, on his best. Like, when he was still, you know, young. He had just married my grandma. He looked like he was a player. You know, that was just his first marriage. So... It kind of depressed me to see the photos of him kind of like in his work is in his weakest of times because it was like, you know, I don't know. I just I just wasn't mentally what I wanted to see. How do I feel about him leaving? How do I feel about my grandfather leaving there at this moment? I felt a little bad because I do wish I would have connected with him a lot more, you know, but, you know, you got to understand my grandfather stayed in um, in one of the outer lying counties of, uh, of Louisiana out there in the bayous. You know, um, all my life I thought we was from New Orleans. I didn't know until I finally went down there. And like, nigga, nigga, where we from is like three counties south of that. Like, shit, we in the bayou, but we in the country, country part. But um, my grandfather was an interesting man. You know, one of the conversations, one of the most interesting conversations he had with me was uh, when he told me, um, he was like, he was talking. I called him one time. I was going to the job corps. I had him on three with me and my brother. And we were just having a conversation about just, you know, you know, the shit I was dealing with in Alabama. Because, you know, you know, this was before I was all big Billy badass. And was like, you know, I was fighting, but I was having to go against some people who was really on me. I'm talking about bringing two or three dudes who were all in gangs. And um, he, my granddad, shout out to my granddad. My granddad, he was talking to my dad and he told me, um, he told me something interesting. He's talking to my, me and my brother. He's talking to me and my brother, not me and my dad. He said, um, he's like, you know, son, no, you, you, can't, you can't let no, he said, he said, you can't let little nigga think you a pussy now, you know. You know, get up on a nigga, press up on a nigga, let him know what's up with it, you know. Nah, bust a nigga ass. Bro, when he said that, that shit had me so weak. I have never laughed. I have never laughed in a conversation with my grandfather more than that, than that moment. It just was so funny. And I remember the stories my Uncle Rat told me about how my granddad used to box. And so when my Uncle Rat was getting beat up at school, he went to my granddad and my granddad like took him in the backyard and just practiced boxing with him. And he practiced boxing with him and he would just knock him down until just kept knocking him down, knocking him down until he, like he got his hands right. He went to school the next day and let niggas know what was up with it. But, um, you know, it was fascinating just to hear all these kind of interesting stories about him. Like, um, I like that he was a stand-up guy. And the men in my family, on my father's side of the family, younger generation, that we have a reputation, at least in our in our most renowned circles, of being stand-up men. And I guess for me, like growing up, you know, that's what I always saw my father's side of the family. He's like, you know, naturally your father's side of the family is always like, they always have a few screws more loose than your mama's side of the family. That's just natural. I don't know what it is about your dad. Your dad's side of the family is always a family who got all, who all the family members are in like state prisons and shit. <laughs> Like, when you go to the family reunions, they got ankle monitors on. Like, that's usually your dad's side of the family. Your mom's side of the family, now, generally speaking, is a little bit more relaxed, chill. There's a few people who got PhDs, a few people who kind of made it in life. You know what I mean? But So, um, I guess what I learned from this whole thing, I guess, is just treasure people while they're here. You know, even now, I don't have the best relationship with my mama, and I think I'm taking advantage of the fact that she's just there and I can just go and see her. And I think I'm going to go into the future, I'm going to try to do better with that. I think it's hard because I think we can have a conversation about this. I think it's when you become a man. So I have three jobs. 
I hurt my leg now, so I'm only, you know, doing one of them. But I had three jobs, and I was working. Up until that point, I was working all the time. I'm talking about 12, 14 hours a day, right? And my family on both my mother's side and my father's side will tell you that they both think I'm full of shit with the same amount of this because I always put work above family. My grandfather passed away last night. He's getting buried August 12th. And my father called me and he told me, you know, I want you to come out there. I said, Dad, I can't. I got to do two 14-hour shifts back to back those two days. I can't make it. He said, son, I'll even buy the ticket. And I just said, Dad, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't. I got to make this money and I just got to do what I got to do. And, you know, that's a good example of just me putting my finances above my family. But it's just because, like, my biggest fear is to be in a position where I have to beg people and be broke or be homeless. I've been homeless before. Not hella homeless where, like, you don't have nowhere to sleep. Like, I slept on my grandma's couch. Rest in peace. I need my bowwear. But I've been in a situation where I've had to... Uh, I, I've had to, you know, just be struggling. Like, I've been in situations where I have to really struggle. Like, before I had a car and stuff like that, I was really, really going, like, catching the bus. I remember I remember a few days I used to... The city I live in is, like, a very, very small town, and so we don't have a lot of options for work out there. So I used to have to work three cities away, and, like, I remember I used to work in certain cities. The only way I could get back home was by bus, but the bus would leave at 6 p.m. I'd be the last one running, and I didn't get off till 7. So it was sometimes I would be fucked and just have to sleep at the bus station, bro. It was bad, bro. Like, shoot, I remember I had a lot, I had a lot of bad times like that. So because of that, you know, that struggle left a, left a bad taste in my mouth. And because of that, I... um I just am scared to be in a position where I don't have money, where I don't have my roof over my head. And so I work extra, extra dumbass hard to make sure that it doesn't happen. I work extra hard to make sure, I work extra hard to make sure that I'm in a position where my bills are being paid, my finances are met, I don't have to worry or cry or do anything. I want I want to be in a position where I don't have to worry about, you know, the worst of situations. I, I that's why I work so hard. And to a certain extent, that ruins the relationship with some of my family members because they feel like, you know, you're you're putting you're selfish, you're putting yourself above everybody else. And like I tell them, it's like, you know, it's it's hard, man. I don't want I just don't want to be homeless. I don't want to be dependent on people. You know, I passed I passed a lot of years of my life depending on people for help and I don't want to put myself in a situation where I have to do that. You know, even as I'm talking to you right now, I'm recording this podcast at my job. So, you know, it's um you know, I think about you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Um there are a lot of people, you know, when you have badass kids, you know, like badass kids who say not badass kids, let me not say it like that. Let me put it a little nicer. I've seen a lot of kids who when they start effing up and start doing drugs, buy the little vape pens and put mar- liquid marijuana. I didn't even know you can make liquid marijuana until a few weeks ago in the vape pens. They start talking back to their mom and daddy and all this other stuff and start watching Real Housewives of Atlanta for some weird reason. They <laughs> That last one was a rant. I've never seen a kid in, in their teenage years today be watching that. But one of the complaints I, I hear, at least when I was a kid, even now sometimes they say is, um, Dad was never around. Dad was always working. Dad was never around. 
And it's an interesting thing because a lot of those kids who will say that, I'm not talking about the ones where their dad was just hanging in front of 7-Eleven with a with the with the bottle a with a with a Corona bottle just drinking his ass. I'm talking about the ones whose fathers were busting their ass eight, nine, ten, eleven hours a day, building a uh, doing construction to build the fucking you know new Suns Phoenix Suns Stadium some damn where. I've heard people complain about those fathers before, and at the same time, it's like, well, hell, if that dad was in the house, there's a chance that you wouldn't have had a house. So, I do think what the average man brings to the household is kind of overlooked in nowadays in today's society. Like, how crucial that is. Like, I was talking to a lady about this the other day. I think I talked about this in the podcast last episode. I was talking to her about how should a man pay for everything? Should a man pay for everything? Should that be a thing? And like I told her, I think it was different back in the day where a man would just go to work and a woman would just stay home because the the guidelines of both set gender roles were very clear. Bitch, I'm joking, I'm joking. But no, but the, the, you know what I mean? Like the roles were, bitch, I'm going to go to work and burst, break my goddamn joints, get hit in the get hit in the tooth, get hit in the mouth with a two by four or something like that because my coworker was paying attention when he was sitting on the roof handing me the bar. And I'm going to do this all my life for 20 and 30 years. You are going to stay home, incubate the two to three babies that I nut inside of you to make, and then you're going to raise all of them at the house. And those two separate positions were kept distant from one another and were clear. And the mother, you know, she would be tired and, you know, stressed out at the home dealing with them damn kids. Well, when the kids were home after school. But then the catch about is the dad would be stressed out. The dad would be stressed out, too, because he had work dealing with a lot of BS, you know. I think a lot of the time we're in today today society we're in a time in society where we talk about a lot of the issues that women face in the workplace a lot of the struggles that women have to deal with in the workplace nobody is having a conversation about the bullshit that men have to deal with in the workplace and I can tell you as a man it's a lot now when I rant and go off about this do not mind me maybe that much because my opinion is very biased because I have one of the most turbulent rollover position. I'm talking about people will get into your face, curse you out, throw used bubble gum. I've had niggas flick cigarettes at me, draw guns on me, draw knives on me, threaten to shoot me. I, I just, my legs broken. Fields of work there is, and that's called doing security. And as a man, I can tell you, I feel like there's nobody who... Sometimes, like I always tell people this, at least from my perspective, blue collar workers, like what we do sometimes, it's a lot of the times the shit that we deal with, you don't even understand, bro. Like, we don't talk about the times where you have to deal with customers cursing you out and saying crazy stuff. We don't have to. We don't talk about the times where you haven't. You almost fight with your fellow coworkers over the, over them being weird, like them being weird, them being competitive. Not even in the field of security. I remember I used to take pictures for this carnival company. Uh, they used to go to like the, the little uh, the state fairs, and me and this dude almost got into a fight because, you know, it's, you know how like I don't know if you have this where you're at, but when you're wherever whoever you're listening to me at, but like, so, like you know how you're walking to the state fair and there's guys who will take pictures, like be sitting there with cameras. This one guy shoved me out the way, pushed me out the way to take a picture, and I told. And I said, what the fuck? And I said, hey, man, we need to talk. And so him and his boy were literally about to fight me because I was going to tell him, hey, why are you trying to push me out the way to take a fucking picture? But what the fuck is wrong with you, bruh? And, you know, it's, it's, 
people are just weird, bro. You know, that nigga, he told me, he apologized. He's like, you know, I got to feed my family. You know, I got to feed my family and all this other stuff. You moving too slow. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? So you have to physically push me out the way because you need to take a fucking picture and feed your family. So, bro, like the shit we have to deal with, bro, I can tell you so many war stories I've had with fights. I remember one time, I remember one time, this was, I was, this was when I just started going to ASU. Uh, I almost got into a fight with a dude. No, we had the fight. Fight broke out at this club I was working at near Arizona, Arizona State. This club was in Scottsdale, Arizona. Well, I was going to ASU and I was seeing it at the dorm. Shout out to Troy, a uh, bit, shout out to uh, Troy. Fight broke out in the club. I, I'm working the front, I'm working the back door at VIP. So when I run back into the club, they all going at it. I go on, I'm just, we start grabbing guys and throwing them out. We're just throwing guys out, right? One of our guards got hit in the eye with a Ciroc bottle. Um, obviously, he was pretty scarred. I, did, I haven't seen him. I think he came to work the next night with a patch on his eye, and after that, I haven't seen him since. And um, when the fight was over, we had threw out all these niggas. Tables were getting thrown. Chairs were being launched. It was just a bloodbath. We tried to go out the back. The, the group of dudes that we threw out, they went around the back and were waiting for us. They one of them dudes flicked a cigarette at me, and then slam. And then we, well, the, uh, one of them grabbed the door and slammed like, "Yeah, bitch ass nigga!" And said in the door like, "We waiting for y'all out here. We waiting for y'all out here." And so all the guard, all the guards were at the door, but it was like hell of them. So we just got punked out at the time. I was like, "Fuck it, we can't go out there because it's hell of them niggas. Ain't but four or five of us right here." Bring the story up because that group of guys repeatedly tried to come back. They came back actually the next Saturday. And one of the guards at the front door let them in. No, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's not what happened. Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, he did let them in, but hold on. There's a key, key part that I'm missing. When these niggas came up, they were the line of the club was hell long. I'm talking about longer than a, a Drake concert line. Bad Bunny could never. These dudes were standing at the end of the line. So I walk outside. I just happened to take a look outside. And I said, oh, shit, these niggas here. So I let the dude at the front door know. I let our head of security know. And I let my nigga at the VIP let him know. Because I was working the VIP entrance, which is at the back of the club. So I let him know. Hey, bro, them niggas we got into it with last week. They back here. We need to not let them niggas in, period. He said, bro, okay, I got it. Cool, it's good. Them niggas went around the back of the club and they tried to come in. And so they sent this one little nigga who happened to not be with them niggas when they got into a fight. I took him to the side. I did something that even at that age, nigga, I didn't even know I had to but nuts to. I took him to the side. I was like, hey, bro, listen, we it's bad for you and your niggas, bro. They can't come in here. No, they can't come in here. They came here, got tore shit up. One of them niggas hit my nigga in the eye with a Ciroc bottle. And now it's bad. Them niggas can't come in here. It's bad. It, it, we ain't fucking with them niggas. It, it is what it is. Them niggas went around the back. Went around the front and somehow got in. It was this whole big argument about it. A few of them happened to sneak in. And when they snuck in, somehow, someway, the story went around the guards that I was the one to let them niggas in. And that's how they got into the club. I got, whereas I was the one who's letting everybody know, hey, them niggas are trying to come in. We not letting them in. I'm the one who took one of them to the side and let them know, hey, bro, we not letting you niggas in, period. Y'all came here and started shit. So... It is what it is. Moments like that where my life is being threatened, 
I'm being threatened to, even when I'm trying to get away from my job, and then the people that I'm on who are supposed to be on my team aren't even fucking with me, aren't even fucking with me, and are treating me, are treating me like I'm doing something wrong, and lying and saying I did something that I didn't do. Those are the things that men have to deal with in the workplace. That's the things that we don't tell you about, ladies. The shit we got to deal with. Motherfuckers pressing us at our jobs. Arguments we have to have. Like The shit that men deal with at the... At the, the nobody talks about what men deal with at, at the workplace. I better talk about it. I think my perspective is a little bit biased because I am a security guard. So people naturally look at me as like the bottom of the bottom. And people feel the need to talk to me and use a certain tone with me that they might not take with a doctor or a nurse, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, it's my opinion. It's my opinion. You know, I said I have people curse me out, say, fuck me when I've tried to help them in situations like. And I think I think. I think because of that, halfway because of that. That's why I'm trying to like, you know, this injury that I got on my leg, I got this working as a nightclub bouncer. I'm a nightclub bouncer. <laughs> and um, I've been being a nightclub bouncer for years. And I realize now at this point that this is the point where I should stop doing nightclub bouncing, doing security in general, because this is the third injury that I've taken in an altercation at my job within the last four to five months. Like a severe injury. The last one I had was I broke my 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 two two left knuckles punching this guy in the face, who walked up and punched me in the face. The reason why I'm realizing that I have to get out of security and stop doing it is because I have just hit that point in my life to where I don't know what I will do to another grown man that I have to put hands on, or where I feel like my life is in danger in interaction with them. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know what I'll do. And that scares me to think that. That scares me to think like, damn, like if another grown man, if I have to have another alternation with another grown man, like I've had a lot of confrontations, altercations where I've had to put hands on men, wrap them up, choke them up, drag them out, throw them out, push them out, sock them out. And it's only been maybe four or five instances in my life where I've let my anger get the best of me because it wasn't a situation where I had to fight back or the person was doing me a certain kind of way. Most of the time, I try to handle myself with restraint. When this situation happened, where I couldn't walk, I can walk now, everything's cool, but at first, I couldn't walk correctly. I couldn't walk from my car to my apartment. I couldn't work. I was scared that my rent wasn't gonna get paid. I was scared I might not have money to pay my car note. I was scared I was gonna have a way to pay my bills. It um, it honestly this time it really affected me. It affected me in a way to where, if I if I have to work in the nightclub again and I have to work with some people and somebody confronts me on that bullshit, bro, it's not gonna it's not gonna go well for them. The the situation that led to my leg getting effed up like this, you know, it was more of a, um, it was more of a um. It was more of a um, of a fight between two other people who, who I tried to grab a hold of. And, you know, these two fats for some more niggas, you know, were hard to grab. But it also is a situation to let me know, like, I'm, I can't I can't keep putting my life on the line to protect other people's property. 
Um, you know, and I've been through a lot. You know, I um, this was the year. You know, maybe I'm saying this because my birthday's in a few weeks, but this was the year when I realized like I'm really gonna go all the way gung ho on trying to be a successful podcaster. <laughs> you know, um, I put a post on Facebook saying the easy path is overrated. I'll explain why. I think this is a good moment to explain why I feel like the easy path is overrated. The reason why the easy path is overrated is because, to be honest with you, just keeping it wanted, not trying to depress people, not trying to depress people, is because the thing about the easy path is, for me, the easy path was working 14, 15 hours a day doing three different jobs that I don't want to do, but I'm doing them to pay my bills. Money's kind of cool. And hey, I got stuff to do. That was the easy path in my con- in the context of my life because it was something that was easy. It was something I could always do. The reason why I always bounce back to being a nightclub bouncer doing security, like I always tell people, was because it's always easy to get work in those fields. Never had the struggle to get a job being a nightclub bouncer. Half the time, I would get the job that night when I let them know I wanted to work. But... It was easy. It was easy for me just to say, hey, I want to be, a, I can do, be a security guard because it's easy. It's low expectations for the job. You know, yeah, I'm, yeah, my life's at risk and all this other stuff, but you know, it was easy. But the reason why I say the easy path is overrated and reason why I call it that is because it's so much easier to give away your life mindlessly like a robot dedicated to a job you don't, dedicated to a job you don't want to be at to a field you don't want to work versus you trying to actually make something work for yourself career-wise, like versus you trying to have like, let's say for example, start your own business versus you trying to, you know, like people always tell you like the boss has it way harder than the actual employees. Now, not necessarily the supervisor in the boss category, but the person who's the actual like manager manager of, the, of a company, the person who owns the company, his workload is usually thrice as many times as the person who, um, who actually is just an employee because they have to worry about everything. The supervising, the financials, et cetera, et cetera, business deals, whoop, whoop, whoop. The employee, all you have to do is clock in, clock out. That ain't that much stress. And I got to a point in my life this last few months where I was like, the easy path is cool with me. I'll just do the easy path and just make it, make cool money and do whatever. Now I'm starting to realize like, the easy path was wearing on me mentally for a while when I started thinking about you know how everybody always tells me oh you have a great voice you should be a podcaster and I always say I am but it's just not working for me or oh you speak so many different languages you should do this and like I'm trying to but it's not working for me so I'm just doing security the easy path was comfortable and it felt good these last few months and I just got comfortable with it but I guess for me when it got to the point now these last few days where I've kind of um When it started taking its toll on me physically, that's when I started being concerned. You know, like, because the next step over being a security guard is going to corrections. And I actually applied to be a corrections officer. I'm going through the process now. But then the catch about that is all I'm doing with the corrections is dealing with the same bullshit I'm dealing with now, but in a higher, higher, more extremely dangerous level. I'm talking about niggas will try to throw human piss and shit in a cup at you. And but it's really good money. It pays a lot of money, relatively speaking, for you know somebody who comes from where I come from. But um, it's more of a conversation of it's more of a conversation of do I just want to be 
you know, my father told me this a few months ago, and this is what he could tell me. He's like, and this only applies to me in the situation. I don't know if I can bounce it back to you guys, but he said, um, son, you're not a crash dummy. You keep working these jobs where people use you as crash dummies. The first one in the fight, half the time the last one to lead the fight. First one to get into some shit, you're the one who's getting threatened. You're the one who's getting knives and guns drawn on you when your life's at risk. But reality is that white man, the owner, he ain't got to deal with none of that shit. So, um, you know, son, he's like, son, you just got to think better, son. You got to think better. You can't just keep throwing your life away like that. I hate, I hate for you to do that. I was like, you know, dad, you got a point, but you know, I got, I got bills to pay, and he understood that. But now I'm, I'm back at the point now where I can just say, um, I'm ready for the hard. I'm ready to take the hard way. The hard way is gonna be me doing a, being a podcaster and throwing in thousands of dollars trying to make this shit work again, trying to get people to share my post, trying to get people to get on my team, trying to get people to work with me, and believe in me, and they may or may not. But at the end of the day, hey, something's got to work. That's the hard way, and that's what I have to do. Um, and it's scary, man. It's scary, you know. I, um, it's scary to try to make a situation work, make work work where, you know, I don't know. It's scary, but I have to do what I got to do. <laughs> I say this to you right now. One of my employees, one of my, my co-workers, she just texted me right now. Shout out to her. Shout out to Kat. Our beautiful people. I know this was a very somber episode, but had a lot of my chest I had to get off so thank you for listening and thank you for being a part of the broadcast thank you for being a part of the mob and the movement we shall continue this with probably next Friday or Saturday it's a pleasure talking to all of you guys and you guys have a good one